You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I haven't done this in a long time, so please let me put over the source of our theme music for the show, which you just heard, a track called Procrastibate. Which is, uh, you know what, I'm not going to get into how appropriate that is for me, except that I just did. Go to lasexoflex.com and check out their music. They're a fantastic band, they're a lot of fun, but I will warn you, they are 18 and up. They are filthy, uh, but it's some of the, the best, funniest, most hilarious stuff ever. And my co-host of the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show show, Miss Lady Flex is part of that group so she is she is the progenitor of that group as a matter of fact all right so i had thought that the final episode of september prior to heading into our halloween coverage would be or halloween celebration we're not really covering halloween we're celebrating halloween all month long here and on needlessthingssite.com which is where you can find the needless things podcast in addition to finding it on itunes and stitcher and please share this thing rate this thing do whatever social media things that you do to show that you approve of a show or or a thing uh i will take all the help we can get let people know that you listen to this and you like it and share it around uh but anyway So all month long in October, me and our writers, we will be providing spooky content. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've already got a couple of things planned. I already have most of the podcast episodes planned. But before I got to those, I thought today's episode would be another Dragon Con episode. But as it turns out, the material just didn't quite work. Uh, I've got audio from the game show. I thought it would be fun to maybe put some of that together, but unfortunately, with the audio problems that we had at the game show, and don't get me wrong, uh, we packed the room out. It was standing room only through the whole thing. There were people waiting 30 minutes to get in just to see the last 15 minutes of the game show. Uh, It was a phenomenal success, but we faced some challenges. And that hopefully we will not face next year, but the audio is not great. I recorded the whole thing, video and audio, but honestly, it's not anything, you know, we talked about it. We had a meeting. We're doing more Dirty Con game shows. Don't worry. Uh, hopefully we'll be doing them at more cons. Uh, let us know if there's a convention near you where you would like to see the Dirty Con game show. Let the people that run that convention know that you want to see the Dirty Con game show. 
that's that's the best way you can help. But uh, but anyway, that it didn't work out so well for for podcasts. So I, that's not going to happen. And then the other thing that I thought was a possibility was there was one more panel that I was part of at Dragon Con called Sci Fighters, which was GI Joe versus Masters of the Universe, and it was like a Sweet Sixteen tournament where we uh, myself. Gary Mitchell and Joe Crow, and I loved the fact that it was just the three of us. It was a lot of fun, although initially I was afraid it was going to be just me, uh, which, you know, I would have handled, but uh, Gary and Joe showed up at the last minute and we we ran the thing, but uh, the three of us and the audience sort of determined who would win in a big, massive battle between G.I. Joe and the Masters of the Universe, and the big winner was Snake Eyes. Just because, uh, personally, I thought Skeletor should win, uh, but that's who it came down to with Snake Eyes versus Skeletor, and Snake Eyes took it home. So, you know, that's what happened, and uh, it was a lot of fun, but I think it was a you-had-to-be-there thing, because I listened to some of the audio back, and and I'll be honest, you know, it may show up if I do another clip show type of thing, like I did, uh, la- I don't think it was last year, maybe the year before, I did a sort of clip show where some of the stuff that I, I hadn't put up throughout the year got put together. You know, maybe part of it will end up on that. I don't know. I've got the file. It's not gone. But it just, personally, I didn't think it made for a very good episode. So instead, what I have for you today is Dragon Con related, although not uh, specifically so. It's it's a guy that I met at Dragon Con who is part of a publishing imprint, an independent company called Unshaven Comics, which you should totally Google and check out. Uh, but he was really cool. We'll, we'll get into that during the interview portion, but his name's Mark Allen Fishman. Uh, really fun guy, really good interview. Uh, I'm glad that I decided... This was the way to, to wrap up September. It was a great talk, and you guys are going to enjoy it. So it, it is tangentially Dragon Con related since I met the guy there while I was wandering around with Sean. But uh, it, it was it was cool. I, I'm glad we got in touch, and I'm glad we made this happen so quickly. Because what happens to me a lot of times is I meet people at shows and stuff, and I get the business cards or whatever, and then other things come up. Uh, topical things come up, timely things come up. I mean, this this happens a lot where I want to talk to someone and then just one thing after another happens. And before I know it, it's been six months. And I'm like, well, it's been so long. I kind of hate to, to go back and contact the person now. So uh, there are a lot of missed opportunities, and that's my fault. But this is not one of them. This was a great talk. We had a lot of fun talking about independent publishing, about Kickstarter, uh, about wrestling at the end. And uh, just, it was cool. We'll definitely be having him back on. So that's it, man. Dragon Con was amazing. I I feel like I should give you guys some kind of recap since we've been focusing on this thing for a month now. It was was enlightening. It was amazing. But honestly, now, uh, not necessarily because of Dragon Con, but because of the game show, I'm I'm a little empty. Uh, And I know that sounds sad, and it kind of is sad. But, you know, I spent months, as uh, Miss Ladyflex said, we started working on the game show back in April. Uh, We started having conversations about it and planning for it and putting things together. So from April, if not a bit earlier, until September, I had this game show that 
was a, th- a big deal that was a thing that I was planning. And, you know, I've always got the podcast. I've always got the website. Uh, although you guys may have noticed I'm, I'm not quite as present on the site lately, and that's because I have a fantastic uh, crew that are creating content and have been an absolute blessing to me because I just don't have it in me to write five days a week anymore. I did it for years and I, I just can't now. I, I don't have, uh, as Jim Stacy put it when talking about Grand Moff Tarkin getting back together, I don't have that fire in my belly anymore. I want to do other things. And don't get me wrong, the website's not going anywhere, especially with the crew. Uh, but that's not my passion. My passion is performing. Uh, and this podcast is included in that because this is absolutely performing and to you guys. Uh, but you know the game show and maybe doing some more spoken word or stand up or whatever you want to call it things like that that's that that live response is is what I love and and it's mainly because you just can't penetrate online you just can't get to people uh, I have to be thrilled if I get five likes on something or, or a comment on one post while other people are posting like hey look at this turkey on rye sandwich and getting 60 likes or stealing pictures from around the internet and posting them and starting giant conversational threads and getting 50 likes and hey, really and and I gripe about this here I don't mention this stuff online but I, I feel like you guys are kind of my pals you can you can take this kind of stuff from me uh, and and you know if any of you are involved in creative pursuits you know exactly what I'm talking about here uh, it's it's discouraging a bit. So I still enjoy writing. I still enjoy commentary and reviewing toys and that sort of thing. But that five day a week schedule that just that ain't gonna happen for me anymore. It just it is not. Uh, so Dragon Con was the most incredible time I've ever had. It's the best Dragon Con by far. Every single day of it was fulfilling to me, massively fulfilling to me in some way, and. It's one of those things where me and Mike Gordon talked, you know, on uh, one of the pre-con episodes and said, you know, every year you're like, how can it possibly get better? And all I can do is is hope and, and work towards next year being better. And it will be. I, I don't have any doubt that uh, 2016 will be the biggest Dragon Con yet. So that's Dragon Con. Uh, and, if, and if it's something you've never been to, uh, I recommend it. If you have a serious problem with crowds, maybe not so much. But if, if you like fun, uh, you definitely need to go and check out not just the Needless Things Dragon Con episodes, but also the ESO Network's Dragon Con podcast to learn more about it and get some great tips on, on how to con. Now it is time for the return of the musical interlude on the Needless Things podcast. If you haven't listened before, first of all, you should go back and check out the archives. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher as well as at needlessthingssite.com. But I like to play music from my pals. And today I'm going way back into the past. There's a band called the Oswalds that were local to Atlanta. And they're pretty amazing. They did some really good music. Sadly, there's not a ton of it out there, but I am going to play for you today a little cover they did. It's a song you're going to recognize. I don't want to spoil it for you because I think there's a certain amount of delight when you realize something is a cover. So right now, just enjoy from a compilation called The Somber Days, which features bands that frequented the punk club The Somber Reptile. 
Here are the Oswalds with a song you are going to enjoy. Phantom Maniacs, welcome to the newest Needless Things podcast. Uh, I've got a guest tonight that I'm pretty stoked about because he basically grabbed uh, me and Rad Ranger at Dragon Con and said, buy our comics, and was not just sitting at his table looking at his phone. He was up, he was selling, he was friendly, uh, and, and after Dragon Con, we kind of hooked up online and we're like, hey, let's sit down and talk, and we've got a lot. We, we could cover tonight, but I know what we want to focus on. But first, let me welcome you to the show. Uh, one of the writers, artists, and co-owners of Unshaven Comics, Mr. Mark Allen Fishman. How are you doing tonight? Doing really well. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, man, you uh, first, I want to talk about uh, we, me and my buddy Sean uh, were walking through Artist Alley at Dragon Con. And it was the, I hadn't been in there yet. I can't remember. I think it might have been Friday. Uh, but we're walking through, and it, you know how artist alleys are. You've got some guys who are sort of standing up, engaging. You've got some who are sitting down, sketching, drawing, doing whatever. Uh, you've got some who are just sitting looking at their phones. And, you know, depending on what the, the atmosphere is and how everything's going, is you may stop, you may not stop. But you guys, and I think it was you that, that was actually doing the, the pitching, basically. Well, and it said that there are rare times when I'm doing that. Typically, uh, Kyle, our uh, third man out, uh, who is t- uh, typically just uh, the writer during the non-con times, uh, he has grown into quite the consummate pitch man. But oh, yeah, maybe it now- was Kyle then, because whoever, whichever one it was, because you were all unshaven gentlemen. Yes, quite no, striking th- in your own manners. Well, thank you much. No, uh, <laughs> he would he would have been the least bearded of the three of us. Okay, yeah, uh, I think he was just stubbly. Yes, uh, he has a day job that does require a clean shaven uh, appearance, which uh, much to our chagrin. But you know, again, they pay him way more than we do, so <laughs> uh, he he's allowed. Plus, I think his fiance she won't say it because she knows that she'd be dead to us if she ever said it. Oh, sure. That, 
I don't think she's a big fan of the beard. So, um, you know, he lives in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We live in Chicago or the south suburbs of Chicago. So he lives far enough away that we can just shake our fists and, you know, they can't see it. So, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, but typically he is the pitch man. But I, I do, uh, you know, on occasion, he's a very regimented guy. So he will, I believe, like on the hour every hour, need a carrot and grape break at which I'm supposed to take the sign and uh and do the pitching so it could have been that i was the one who pitched you but i i want to say that he was i think all three of us were there that he did pitch you but i stopped you uh because you mentioned podcast and i i am the uh self-proclaimed business jew of uh unshaven <laughs> comics and i can get away with that my name's fishman i was bar mitzvah so we're, we're clear um you know, I, I take all the business cards and such, and yours happen to have you in a wrestling mask. I'm like, well, clearly, clearly, this is meant to be right. You so, got to have a gimmick. You have to. Well, and you what what impressed me so much is that it wasn't like the carny huckster thing. Uh, you know, hey, hey, buy our comics. It was it, it, the approach was very. Uh, it, it was just interesting and genteel and like genuinely like, oh, this guy. This guy really wants me to read his comic. Like that that was the feeling I got. Not even so much he wants to sell me comics, but like, you know, he wants to share his comic. It just came across that way and we both ended up buying the 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 bundle pack with all the issues of Samurnauts and uh you guys had some cool prints there too, which we'll we'll talk about the that subject matter in a little bit cuz you, sure, you sure. wrote a great piece on uh uh comics mix. Yeah, comic mix, yeah. Comic mix. Um about that, that I just read tonight. Um, but I want to start a little bit with how you guys got together and, and started doing this, because it's no easy thing to self-publish, and, and to take on something like that is pretty brave. How did you guys get together and, and decide you're going to make your own comic? Well, I guess uh, I, I, it, I have to preface by saying Matt, Kyle, and myself, we've been friends literally since the third week of sixth grade. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, as it would happen to be, Matt himself had just moved to town um, and started up. And uh, in our particular community, there are two feeder schools, two elementary schools that fed into the junior high. And I saw him in my class and figured, like, if I didn't recognize them, clearly they must be from the other school. And uh, it, it, there was a little bit of pride there. So I was like, I'm not going to talk to anybody that I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. And um, they had the, the the teacher had one of these um, who are you uh, questionnaires where she's like, you know, what's your favorite music? What's your favorite hobby? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, we would each individually end up going up to the boards and reading, uh, you know, just through, she put them in the back of the class as basically a way to break the ice between kids. And uh, I went to his. Because uh, he was a goofy-looking kid, uh, you know, <laughs> all of us were. But you know, uh, I happened to look at it, and I and uh, I noticed that he was not from the other school. He was actually from uh, the the actual city of Chicago, which was cool and made him mysterious. And then he put um, under music. He wrote AC, drew the lightning bolt, and then oh. put DC. And I'm oh. like, oh, dude, this guy must know how to draw. He drew a lightning bolt and a pretty sick one at that. So. Uh, and I, I fancied myself an artist at the time, so I happened to uh, walk past his desk at the uh, study hall hour, and he was drawing the absolute sick, sickest, most awesome Viking I'd ever seen. And immediately, my Jewish brain clicked on, and I said, one, befriend him. 
to enslave him. <laughs> and uh, pretty much at that point, uh, I introduced myself, said, I fancy myself an artist as well. We should team up. And somehow he was like, hey, I met this creepy kid, Kyle, on the bus, and I think he should be our friend, too. And that was pretty much the origin. We we were friends pretty much at that point since. And uh, we, I would say Matt and Kyle, especially more than me, were uh, more or less the comic book fans. I had sort of dabbled in it. Uh, always a big fan of like the X-Men cartoon back in the 90s, yeah. the Spider-Man cartoon, really more, and Batman the Animated Series, so really kind of just a TV comic book fan, not really a, a comic book fan itself. But you know how it is. Your your friends are into something, they get you into something. So, uh, Well, Matt, and those, those cartoons, man, in the 90s, I mean, they, they were the gateway for a, a generation. Oh, the Gilded Age. I mean, any, Batman the Animated Series still to this day is the best cartoon ever. Uh, period. Well, but, and the, are you uh, the guy that was uh, one of the major concept design guys for the Spider-Man animated series actually has a Facebook page where he talks about the show and puts up original art and like character concept designs and all kinds of stuff and talks a little shit from time to time about <laughs> like modern cartoons and stuff and superheroes. It's actually a really interesting page to follow. Yeah, I might have to take a look at that, because yeah, I know yeah. at one point I was really lucky with Comic Mix, I got to, uh, not to digress too far, but I did get to talk to a gentleman named Will Minio, who is uh, an unsung hero of our youth, if you didn't know him. He's uh, one of the producers, concept artists, uh, story writers for some of the greatest cartoons that no one saw, like my personal favorite, Exo Squad. Oh, yeah. Uh, Extreme Ghostbusters. Um, he had a hand in in so many of those shows, and um, especially definitely one of those things where I got to interview that guy. And I was like, it, it's so hard at that point. You're like, question one, you're awesome. It right. was really, like, it's like the uh, the Chris Farley show. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's tough not to do that sometimes because you know, depending, I, I've uh, I've talked to a couple of people that that I've had to sort of control myself a little bit. Like, so you built puppets for the Dark Crystal? That's rad. Like, yeah. you, you know. You're you pretty much left at that point. Yeah, so I really, uh, anyway, to get back to this, the, the, the quick and dirty. So Matt, Kyle, and I have been friends since sixth grade. Uh, Matt and I found a uh, love of art, continued to have a love of art, uh, and he's continued to be way better at it than I am. But, <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I'll put it up where I can. I can write, and that's, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a double-duty type of guy. So after we graduated college, we were living in Indianapolis, Um because my school had brought me out there, and then Matt and Kyle seemed to follow just serendipitously. They're like, yeah, we're not doing anything. So we were living out there just being, you know, 20-something bums. Now, were you guys doing comics this whole time? Like, Nope. Just, oh, really? We were, uh, we had girlfriends and uh, tangible cash, thanks to day jobs. So we were spending our time being fans, honestly, and, you know, doing the whole, oh, one of these days we should make comics. Sure, I mean, sure. Matt's great, and I'm great, and Kyle, he's there. We can figure this out. <laughs> and uh, as it would happen, uh, I was on Facebook, just being a 20-year-old on Facebook, and one of our high school uh, it's, I, I can't say friend, to be honest, at the time. It's, you know, a girl who was in our class that we were always friendly with, but that was pretty much it. Acquaintance. She always, she rem- yeah, there you go. She she pretty much uh, recalled Matt and I being the comic book dorks, and uh, rightfully so, back in high school. So she wrote me this quick message and said, hey, my mom is a comic book uh, publisher, graphic novels, and she has a great... 
idea for one, and she wanted me to do it. And frankly, I just I don't I'm not interested. How, would you guys be interested? And like the yachts bag I was, I'm like, of course, we make comics all the time. <laughs> that's great. So, that's yeah. such a good response. That's, that's so good to have that loaded and ready to go. Oh, right. And just, yeah, completely lied through my teeth about it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we came back into Chicago to meet with her mom and uh, had a decent meeting where, you know, I, we, we made it clear. We said, okay, look, uh, we really love comics and Matt and I have the ability to. So, you know, let's, let's, let, let, let's make this happen. So they, this Mendoza Publishing, uh, contacted or, you know, drew up the paperwork and we uh, were contracted to do a little graphic novel project with them. It was called The March Crossing Bridges in America. It was a educational uh, creative nonfiction piece about the Chicago Immigration March that happened in 2006 that uh, this publisher herself was a part of. She is a uh, second generation immigrant to the country and uh, this particular immigration march was 400,000 people marching civilly through Chicago. No uh, no arrests, uh, no issues, literally just a day where immigrants in the city came out and celebrated, you know, just everything good about life and, and Chicago and everything else. And they, they thought, oh, what a great what a great thing that we should be celebrating. And so they wanted to make sort of a, a graphic novel to celebrate that, I guess. Wow. Uh, that's pretty powerful that you guys got to adapt that. And it was, I mean, and, and the best part really was is Sylvia and her brother who put this uh, together, honestly, were really open to us. Just they're like, here's your prompt. This thing happened, make a graphic novel about it. And of course, at the time, uh, we're like, this will be a hundred pages. We'll do it in a couple of months. Bing, bang, boom. You know, we'll we'll just we'll rip this. We'll rip this out. Sure. Uh, and then we found out that making comics is hard. <laughs> uh, so it took the better part of a year uh, of us doing it. But uh, I would say that in, in doing it, we cut our teeth over the course of that year and, and learned a very important lesson that. The three of us really did have a passion for this, and we uh, in 2008 the book actually was published. Uh, the they gave us a nice little box of them, and we went to our home show, the Wizard World Chicago, uh, 2008, and we were um, up on our home stage, so to speak. And I think for that whole weekend, we sold a whopping like 42 books. And if you talked to us after it, you would have thought we were golden gods. Yeah. Uh, but we came out of that experience basically saying uh, that feeling was way too great to not chase. So let's start doing it, you know, uh, for ourselves. And basically since 2008 started producing, I'd say basically a book a year. Which is admirable because, again, you're doing it all yourself. We're doing it ourselves. We're doing it while we maintain uh, day jobs. Matt and I are married and have uh, a son each born six hours apart in adjacent hospital rooms. And wow. we have, oh, it gets better. We have second children on the way and they are a day apart. Um, and to answer your next question, yes, we FaceTime during sex. I would hope so. That that is uh, that that's definitely there's some clock stuff going on there. Honestly, it, it really it it was completely not planned that way. It just happened that uh, so, somehow it just uh, yeah we can't we can't escape it. I don't know. There either our wives were calling each other. They were calling it like uh, like in utero Wi Fi. 
Um, <laughs> I I dubbed it Balltooth. <laughs> Balltooth. Well, nice. you've heard of Bluetooth, right? Sure, sure. Wireless ball connection. You've got a you've got a sync up. You've got to be true. ready to go. Um, so how obviously that taste because any taste of uh, creating something and having it received, I, I totally understand that. Uh, that feeling that oh this has to happen again because it's the same thing whether whether you're walking into a ring with a microphone whether you're you know just doing stand up in front of an audience whatever any kind of creative thing that you've done yourself that goes out into the world that feeling is is incomparable absolutely and it's i mean all through high school i mean i i did art obviously but i was a, a choir kid i was in barbershop quartet for a long time and uh i was i i did like to perform i wasn't exactly an extrovert or anything like that i was not a popular kid by any stretch of the imagination but you know for those five ten minutes at a time when you're up in front of people and you have the balls to actually go through and and uh, you know, re- reveal a bit of your personality, and then to be gifted applause or appreciation. Yeah, it's it is a high unto itself, and uh, clearly, um, making a comic book constitutes uh, an amazing amount of satisfaction. Uh, not in the way like uh, getting a standing O might, but to me, it's way more worth it because you know you're talking uh, 250 man hours every time we release a book, and uh, to just have anybody off the street who likes comic books be able to look at that and say dude this thing is awesome like that to me is you can't replace that uh there is no uh that to me is four standing o's every time well and that's the thing is you you have a physical product you have a thing that you made as opposed to just throwing you know words out into the atmosphere or whatever like right. there, there's there's something substantial there which i i think that's that's something i'm working on i i've i'd like to produce a thing because there's definitely a difference in you know when you're at dragon con or something like that if you're at a table and you've got stuff that's a huge difference in in uh you know not just the attention you get but the accomplishment that you've you've made and it, it's true and i'll say like um I I demonize myself in admitting this, but for a long time, as I've been a comic book fan, uh, at shows, I always abstained from the artist alley uh, growing up. I was such a big two whore that I would really be there for the panels and the dealer room, and uh, Matt would have to drag me through the artist alley, and I was one of those idiots that would be like, why would I buy somebody's random book that I've never heard of? Like, If it's not Superman or Batman, clearly they're not great. And, you know, in in that very nice way that friends will do, Matt was like, you're an idiot and you should shut up and buy books. (laughs) And uh, you know what? To my credit, I did it once and I hated it. (laughs) The guy guy who uh, duped me and he totally duped me uh, called me over in in not – not a dissimilar manner to what Unshaven Comics had done in the past, but this guy was assuredly there just to move product, uh, you know, and promised me the moon, and this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and if you disagree with me, then you're a, a liar and a fool, and right, it, right. it's fantastic. And uh, literally kept his book in my travel bag, forgot about it until I was going on a trip one day, and was like, oh my god, I got a book to read, and got through uh, made my way through it and literally held on to it till the next show, walked past that guy's table and flipped it back at him. I'm like, you can keep this, not mine. Uh, and that was the year before that we ended up doing our first show. And I'll tell you, when you're on the other side of that table, 
the appreciation you get for people who are willing to take that risk on uh, an unproven product totally flipped the script on me. Yeah. And uh, now when I walk to shows as a fan, the only thing I care about are the people, honestly, who are there um, to do what we're doing. And they're, they're showing that um, – you know, it, it is a labor of love, and even much more uh, props and respect to the people that can do this. Uh, that really make that ultimate sacrifice of trying to make a living at it, because um, clearly that is uh, ramen time. <laughs> yeah, many. and well, any any original creative pursuit is is a huge risk, um, and and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. First, I want to be sure we talk about how Samurnots came about, and uh, I, I might be mangling the pronunciation there. No, no, you're right. Samurai. Okay, it's okay, cool. Samurai astronaut. And uh, I, I read the Genesis issue mm-hmm. and totally dug what you guys have going on. You've got. I love how you're kind of wearing your influences on your sleeve, uh, but you have a concept that is very original, and you're you're bringing you're kind of bringing a lot of really cool things together. And the the thing that I love the most about it is I can hand this to my son. Yes, and I mean you're hitting on the exact reason. I'm, I'm assuming you want me to give give away kind of the the, the secret origin. Absolutely, of that nuts. Uh, yeah, the basically what happened, as I said, when we finished the uh, the the March graphic novel, and it was time to do our own stuff again. We were about in our 20s, so we spent the next couple of years doing uh, two books, um, all part of a series called Disposable Razors, because we are unshaven comics. It just made sense. Sure. And the, the notion was we would rip off like kind of a Twilight Zone, but that would allow us to do um, each issue would be one individual story, and that would allow us to sort of figure out what we were good at. So the first time we did it, we did a horror story that Kyle wrote, and Matt did the interiors. I did the cover and lettering and edited Kyle, uh, basically. And uh, that that story was called Chasing Daylight. Uh, it was okay, and we had we had, again we had a, a, a good reaction to it, probably better than we'd had with um, uh, the educational comic book, of course, because sure. well, demons and uh, swears and all the stuff fans like. So uh, we did that book, and then we did a superhero beat 'em up story that I was the uh, writer on, and then Matt did the interiors, and we kind of pitch back and forth in that one and uh had an even better reaction at that point but at the the back of the first book we had one extra page the inside back cover and we had already spent a page you know giving away an advertisement to the printer and we had done a page you know here's who we are and thank you for buying the book so really i didn't have any other content and i didn't want to leave it blank so i said you know we were hap- happening just to be at baker square and uh joking around and i said well let's just make some kind of fake ad you know something stupid and silly and like totally commercial like let's come up with the absolute most commercially crass product that we could ever come up with and we'll make a fake ad for it and we'll say it's coming out in the summer of 2020 and uh you know people it'll be sort of that end joke we're big fans of robert kirkman and he does that crap all the time you know with uh leaving a little hint of something and maybe i'll come back to it maybe i won't right so we were having pie and coffee uh 
against what other fans have implied we must have done to come up with the concept. <laughs> and uh, it started really at that point uh, with Kyle. And Kyle had said, hey, I just watched Samurai Jack, another great cartoon. And there was an episode where Samurai Jack had gone into space. And he's like, a samurai astronaut. That just sounds hilarious to me, like a samurai. And just, you know, sort of spilled out of his mouth. And we're like, okay, that there there is something there. And we just started furiously taking notes. Like, okay, there's got to be a monkey in it. And they, they have to wear, like, astronaut suits and have weapons. And, oh, they have to combine. And there has to be this. And there has to be that. So we just came up with all this crazy stuff. And at the time, right around that time, Matt and I knew we were, we were going to be dads. And we're like, hey, you know, maybe this third book in the anthology series, like, let's give a go at a kid's story. Or not necessarily kid's story, but the, the concept, which became Samurai's Genesis, was let's do an origin cartoon. But in this case, it happens to be a comic book about a fake television show that we would have loved growing up, which in this case would have been the Samurnauts. So we took all the tropes that we knew of that we loved in things like Ronin Warriors and Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and tried to add some original spins to everything, basically taking into account that um, – We've never grown up. We're 30 years old, and we are now we're 33, and yeah, we've never grown up. But the things that we've loved, the Exo Squad and Ronin Warriors and uh, shows like that, they never talked down to kids. They just told really good stories that didn't necessarily have to be vulgar or uh, necessarily too too violent or anything, but they still told great stories. Like They didn't necessarily shy away from anything. They just happened to not involve it. And that was what we stro- strived for, and um, that's how the Samurais came to be. And, and truly, like uh, the the novel thing to me is that when we started pitching that book out, the fan response we got, we've never had a response like that, uh, where we've heard from people literally the phrase "shut up and take my money." <laughs> and that I think at that point it was pretty much cemented, like. Um, we started doing bigger shows too. We started traveling and when you're in a car for 10, 12 hours and you got nothing better to do, uh, just coming up with funny concepts for the Samurai's book. Like uh, when we first started it, literally we would just keep saying this book is writing itself. And we figured that must've meant we're on the right path. Well, and it does, it almost does come across like a pitch because everything is incorporated into it. You, you've got, uh, very visually appealing character designs that would translate immediately into a toy line. You've got mm-hmm. a narrative that, like you said, could be the pilot for a, an afternoon cartoon show. Well, it's not afternoon cartoons anymore. A Cartoon Network show. Right. Um, you know, it, all the elements are there that it really feels like this is something you could hand to an executive and be like, here's our stuff. I, I yeah. mean, it, it's there. It definitely had that uh, when we were starting, and I think uh, now, especially as we're uh, coming to the close of the first uh, miniseries for it, and and we've got a lot of stuff planned now as to where the the series is going, um, we're really trying to uh, build out from that very concept to say, okay, well, we've all we've established now our. you know what the Samurnauts is, but now we can showcase exactly what kind of brand that could actually be building. Because um, you know we're not we're not fools. Uh, we would really like if if we are to ever do this full time, and truly that is the 
the end goal for any of this. Of course. The the best way, the only way I could think to do it is that we have to make this beeline to develop the Samurnauts as a property, like a full tilt, like be able to walk into the office of a Nickelodeon or a Cartoon Network and say, look, this is what we've done. We'll have at that point in time that we're ready to show it to them thousands upon thousands of fans that we have sold this book to personally that get what we're doing and uh, be able to show, hey, this is um, this is something that literally has been thought out, is ready to go like off the shelf uh, property. And and it's clear that that's uh, that. Well, it's clear that that's an intent there, but it's also clear that you guys love what you're doing beyond that, which I think the passion is just as important as the product. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, instead of if I wouldn't be toiling away at this stuff every night of the week with no days off if I didn't absolutely love doing it, yeah, and you it's couldn't. not you couldn't. No, we, we don't. Uh, the plight of the indie creator, if you've not told your listening audience, and I'm sure they must know, there's not a lot of money in this. And <laughs> uh, if we break even, honestly, at the end of the year, then we're doing it. Then we're doing it okay for sure. So the only way you can really defend this to yourself, aside from that off chance that maybe one day our our uh, plane will come in is when it doesn't, at very least, I can stand by this book and say, you know what, say what you want. The Samurnauts is a damn fine book, and people actually enjoy it for what it is. It's not It's not just the, you know, the pitch is hilarious, we all understand that, it's great, but there is no better compliment to pay us than saying, hey, I didn't expect this to be as good as it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. To, to go above people's expectations is, is a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys, you recently completed a Kickstarter. We did. How? Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that because honestly, Kickstarter experience could be an episode unto itself. But but how how did that pan out for you guys? You you met and exceeded your goals, but that that's got to be a trying experience in and of itself. Oh yeah, it was thirty three days of living hell. Absolutely, um, and it was more on me than anybody else. Uh, again, hashtag business Jew. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was sort of my, my brainchild, my baby. And, uh, I mean, it's our project, but the idea to crowdsource the funding to do it was, was completely on me. So this was, uh, flag nor fail, right? So uh, the idea to raise the money to produce the graphic novel, which is something that for the longest time we did not want to do because I've never been a fan of relying on the fans to, uh, invest capital. I, sure. I've always... You know that was the only high horse I had until re- recently, when I just happened to notice that all of our friends were doing it. They were doing it successfully, with not asking for what I would call an egregious amount of money. Um, so it was just, at that point, it was just, hey, let's. What's the worst that could happen? So let's give it a go. And yeah, for thirty three days, I was like, as I said, it was akin to me uh, shucking and jiving on the overpass for nickels, but. We made it work. 155 people ended up backing us to the tune of like $7,200, which is closer to like 5500 when you actually get the check. Uh, you're right. But, uh, hey, that's 155 people who uh, pledged their allegiance to our flag. And, uh, you know, we're, we're elated that that offers us uh, a lot of great opportunities for next year, uh, especially because now we'll be able to afford making uh, a graphic novel collection of the Samurnauts going around for this first time, and 
that will in turn allow us to earn enough profit to take the Samurnauts to a licensing show, like an actual exposition where property owners like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network are looking for the next big thing. Yeah, and that's critical to have that collection, to have, you know, not just because uh, graphic novels, trade paperbacks, whatever you want to call them, not just because the collected volume is what makes the money these days, but because it shows your commitment. We we finished a story. We have a full arc. Uh, w- this is what we did. Uh, again, yep. again, here it is. Yeah, uh, to put it in their hands, but then be able to back it up and say, look, we've got relevant data. I've got sales data. We have never sold a book without me tallying it and tabulating who it went to and where and why. So we know what our fan base looks like. We know what uh, our material looks like on the page and what it uh, obviously could look like, hopefully, in, in different mediums and such. Yeah, it's, it's all been part of the plan. It's, it's not all just Congratulations on successfully uh, passing the Kickstarter trial by fire, I guess. Yeah, I appreciate it. And said so it, it was it's a great process. It's one I do not want to be doing for the uh, the next. Uh, I don't want to do it for a while. I'll put it that way. But um, certainly, I know that uh, sometimes when people do have these things, that that in and of itself can create some opportunities to at least speak or to share the information. So that's definitely something. Yeah, and if your listeners ever want. An all Kickstarter episode, I'm happy to uh, literally waste all of your time giving the ins and outs of how something like that uh, is put together. But the uh, the shortest version of that is for 33 days, you hold your breath and you pray to God that you will wake up when it's over. Yeah, it's it sounds like absolute torture. And I've, I've got... Uh... I've I've talked to a few people who have done the Kickstarter thing, but again, I I would like to kind of do a Kickstarter feature at some point, or maybe even a series of shows, because I think there's some really good stories to be had there. Um, What I want to do for sort of the second half of this, to close it out, uh, which came up, like I said, tonight, I just read this article that you wrote on Comic Mix, uh, inspired by a cartoon from Dan Doherty. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it sort of ties into a conversation that I've been having for the last year or so with a, another friend of mine who's a self-publisher. And it's it's kind of about the dilemma of taking, you know, when you're an independent artist, you have to get your thing over. You have to make money to do what you want to do and to grow and to get into bigger and better things. And it's unavoidable that you're going to be drawing Batman or you're going to be drawing Deadpool or whatever you go to comic shows and that happens. It's just, it's all over the place because you've got to grab people's attention. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a line between yes, I'll do a sketch of Batman and I having a wall of Harley Quinn, Yep. but it's tough. Like that's a very difficult discussion to have because I've got dozens of friends who are those guys. Uh, But the comic strip addressed an issue that, I had not even thought of before that to me is much easier to talk about. And that is, and and, and I honestly wasn't even really aware of this phenomenon of the artist who's sitting in the artist alley at the, at the con or whatever. And the person comes up, takes a picture of their art and walks away. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's black and white. There's no gray area. That's wrong. That's messed up because regardless of what that art is, it represents effort, hours of care and 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 work 
put into a piece of art. It doesn't matter what the subject matter of the art is, but the person taking that picture is stealing that artist's time. Oh, absolutely. And you wrote a really good piece about that, uh, and I definitely... You know, if you want to expand on it or if you just want to run down your feelings about the whole thing. But I, like I said, until this, I hadn't even really given that much thought. But you, having been on the other side of the table, uh, have undoubtedly experienced this. So what, what, yeah. what prompted you, aside from the cartoon, uh, on this one? Well, uh, Dan himself is uh, a good friend of ours. Uh, we, we politely call him our nemesis because he's Beardo Comics. <laughs> and uh, not only that, he lives 20 minutes away from us. We did not know who he was until our very first show when we ran ran past him. And literally the conversation, as I'm building the myth to be, uh, is <laughs> that we're walking down the aisle and I'm going – unshaven comics man who in their right mind is smart as we are to come up with a facial hair themed (laughs) comic book consortium because let's just be clear about this the massive herd of bearded folks uh go hand in hand with comic books it just happens oh for sure um and i was like we are hitting on the zeitgeist we are amazing and original and no one will stop us and then you walk right past this man pretty talented Mo fucker, excuse the term. <laughs> no, quite all right. Okay, thank God. Uh, so this shithead. Uh, no, uh, uh, no. Dan, Dan is a great guy. <laughs> we were like, oh my God, Beardo Comics? Are you fucking kidding me? And I walked up to him and I'm like, where are you from? He's like, Tinley Park. I'm like, you live 20 minutes down the road. I'm like, for the love of God, please tell me you're older than me. And he's like, yeah, I am. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> give, give me something. So Dan himself uh, is fantastic uh, cartoonist. He has some great comic books out there. If you guys like indie books, please look up Touching Evil. It's his newest series. If you like noir, if you like horror, I can't talk about this book enough. It, it is honestly one of the best books people are not reading yet. But anyway, to make ends meet, Dan himself uh, produced uh, just a funny print called The Pooh Avengers, where he took all the Winnie the Pooh characters and drew them up as the Avengers. And again, uh, most of us know at this point why a piece like that's created. It's It gets people to turn their heads and it makes them stop and maybe they'll buy it. And in terms of just pure profitability, and I get into this in my article that's coming up on Comic Mix this weekend, so people please check that out too. But essentially, at that point, I think we're all in on this. Like, look, uh, we understand that some people come to Artist Alley, they're not looking for anything more than art. And uh, if a well-rendered Harlequin is what it takes, great. Then if you have the ability to draw it and you, you can make some good money doing it, then God bless and do it. Uh, In this particular case, Dan uh, was only drawing what all of us have been talking about really for probably years now, is that with the advent of the cell phone and the camera embedded in the phone, that the real jerky fans will walk past your table, uh, point out something that they find amusing, and they'll snap a picture of it and walk away. Yeah, And uh, now... Again, some people may be doing this. Uh, I've been told before, oh, I take pictures of everything I like, and then I come back, and I buy it. And I'm like, that's great. We happen to have a postcard with our table number on it, so if you are a person of your word, you'll actually come back and do that. Uh, good way to track. 
Um, so Dan just made a really cool comic strip uh, for his uh, Beardo, uh, which he does in a couple of uh, newspapers and online. Uh, he did a strip basically celebrating uh, what's happened to him as happened to all of us, the, the drive-by uh, snapping of your photo. Uh, when we were in New York Comic Con uh, two years ago when we were debuting some of our prints, uh, we had that happen a lot. And um, it bothered Matt quite a bit it didn't bother me so much because we were using the prints more to just get people to snicker and then hear about the book and i was like yeah you know what for the for the amount of time and effort we really put into it do i really care if somebody goes and snaps a picture of it probably not because that means they're probably not they're they're cheap enough they're not gonna go they're not gonna they're obviously they don't have the money to buy it if they did if they did they would right um but yeah uh, as i said in my piece it's a dick move it, it's just it, it's outright stealing, and if uh, somebody thinks that is okay, then I'd love to have them write me back as to wh- how they think that's okay. Like it to me, like do you go? Does that same person go to a uh, a concert and turn the recording app on their phone on? Probably yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Undoubtedly yes. Well, yeah. the, I mean the the you know the same thing would be. To let that person go to their job, work eight hours, and then you take their paycheck. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the equivalent. You are because the time and effort that goes into these prints, and I think it's. Um, I will say this: I don't know if it's as much a dick move as a move of just pure unthinking ignorance. Yeah, they're not is. considering what they're doing, and and the problematic thing is there's not really a way to let them know because then all of a sudden unfortunately you're the bad guy like hey look uh, you know i spent you know 10 hours drawing and inking and coloring this and then getting the prints made and then you know and every part of it and then you know there unfortunately there's no great solution to this other than just having a sign up that says hey if you like something please buy it and don't take a picture of it and put it on instagram Right. I mean, you, you have to hope. And I mean, I, that's that's the caveat that um, I assuredly want to say here. Uh, I honestly don't have a problem if somebody doesn't have the funds, loves the piece and wants to share it with people who might want to buy it. It's a matter of, number one, asking. Yes. Because uh, I will tell you 100 percent of the time, if you ask us, we'll let you do it. Um it's because, it, like I said, I, it personally doesn't bother me, and it doesn't bother Matt or Kyle anymore. Again, if someone has the decency to ask, if you just run up and and snap the picture because you're being ignorant, well, then you're being ignorant, and you know, obviously, we hope that I hopefully something like that opens somebody's eyes or other fans. Obviously, what I'm really hoping is that other fans spot fans doing this and shame them away from trying that. Yeah. Now, I have I've noticed some artists will actually put up some signage to that effect but really at that point what you're trying to do is punch hipsters you know (laughs) you know good luck with that um and and it's it is one of those things where you know us by going to and this is where the social media comes in as much as it's the bane of my existence it's also a useful tool and you know anybody listening go to comic mix read this article share this article around because spreading the word on this kind of thing is the only way you're going to you know, make any kind of difference. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's what, uh, and really for Beardo and Dan, when he made this piece, it was really just to get the conversation rolling. And it did. Um, the funniest thing is really the, what sparked my writing the piece in the first place was that he got some commenters 
that really pissed me off because they basically said, uh, well, their argument, the counter was, now this person himself wasn't actually doing the picture taking, but what he was basically implying is like, look, Dan uh, and any of us other artists, we don't have the license to Winnie the Pooh. Excuse me. We don't have, uh, you know, Unshaven Comics does a poster print called the Hipster League where we take the uh, Jim Lee Justice League poster and we turn them all into hipster douchebags. Yeah. Uh, We don't have any license to Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Cyborg. Um, And therefore, the argument being, well, if someone takes a picture of your unlicensed work, why can you – how do you have the option to bitch? Because you're making profit off of somebody somebody else and their creation – um, which, as I posit in the article, uh, not necessarily true. In the case of Dan, uh, in his piece, he's actually doing a parody. Yes. Uh, same with us. Now, that doesn't necessarily, you know, that does bring up an argument about, okay, what about your friends who do just a straight up nice Harley Quinn? You know, at that point, uh, I'd really love to talk to a lawyer at some point and, and hear what that, you know, it's not like DC or Marvel's coming into the artist alley cracking down on people drawing their characters. Well, and and I think that's that's a very long involved conversation because I think there, there are probably a lot of things that that I'm not even considering with it, but DC and Marvel know that this is where their future employees are coming from. They yeah. know that this is where their fans are coming from, and I think while maybe they don't necessarily like it, they also kind of understand. You know, we, there, there's not a good reason for us to rock that boat. No, and, I mean, let's just be honest about the dollars and cents of it. Uh, Marvel and DC will make more money by having artists do unlicensed work, spreading the uh, evangelism of their brands, because at the end of the day, Marvel and DC could honestly give two poops about how good their comic book sales go. What they really care about is how good those movies profit. And uh, if... They know that someone who really loves Harley Quinn gets that Harley Quinn Suicide Squad poster. Now they're more likely to go see the Suicide Squad movie and then buy the action figure and the T-shirt at Hot Topic and all the other crap. So, yeah, that's that's actually a really good call. That that it's it's kind of like free advertising for those guys. It is now, of course, the antithesis to this, and uh, it's a question I myself am not ready to answer yet, but I probably will in a couple weeks. What would happen if? I walk into Dragon Con next year and somebody has done a piece of the Samurnauts. That that's an excellent question because that's the conversation that that sort of cuz I used to not consider this at all. I used to not think anything of it. And that's the question that was brought up to me by my friend that that's a self-publisher uh who I'm not mentioning because he doesn't want to publicly publicly discuss any of this. Um <laughs> but move. that would yeah, right. That was his question was you know if if i walked into a convention and somebody had like a stuffed animal of my guy or a drawing of my guy that they were selling i'd be fucking furious <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and i mean because for obvious reasons like again marvel doesn't care if you uh buy a ten dollar daredevil print but you better you better believe if if you're making more money than me at that comic book show selling my intellectual right. property right yeah, them's fighting words. Um, 
but again, I, and it's not like I've ever seen that happen. Um, nor do I think anybody. I, I feel like there is some. There are some uh, unspoken rules in the alley. I think yeah. that's got to be one of them. Um, but hey, stay tuned next year for Unshaven Comics debuting its new series called Touching Evil. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. I will. Uh, whenever I find those Samurai's bootleg action figures, I will send them straight to you. Hey, trust me, if I'm not already the one in my basement making them. (laughs) Um, Actually, it's funny. With the, uh, whatchamacallit, with the uh, Kickstarter, we were able to uh, get a 3D printed uh, monkey. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, and um, I'm actually... Uh, we're still we're still working out a lot of the details right now to get it produced, but um, yeah, it's pretty cool, and especially because one of my friends who sort of came out of the ether, if you will, uh, he's a game designer, and that's why he did this 3D model monkey for me, and he also helped with a couple of the props that I use because uh, I'm a digital artist, so I need a lot of props for me. I, I have to work from reference. Sure. So all of these props that he's built for me, he's offered. He's like, you want me to make those like. Because uh, we did it sort of in the style of the Funko Pop, mm-hmm. um, you know, that sort of super deformed chibi style. So he's like, I can make them all fit the monkey. I'm like, oh, like, yeah, you, yeah, you're doing that. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So for now, he's just got a, a staff and a rice paddy hat. But um, subsequently, if, if fans take to buying this, then he'll have a Samurai helmet. He'll have all the different weapons, you know, just because. Man, 3D printing is blowing my mind. The The most recent thing... Uh, there and this may this is probably a little before your time to appreciate, but the superpowers figures. Oh no, were, I'm I'm well aware. Okay, okay. Um, they're doing micro versions of the superpowers figures, and they're 3D printed. Wow, which is and they're perfect, perfect little recreations. I think they're probably about two and a half, three inches tall, maybe. I think they're 350 a piece, which that's a sweet spot for a toy. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, and and that's the magic is that you know, it's it's great for that kind of thing for reproductions and whatnot. But it's giving the independent guys options for for creating things because that's you know that's one of the huge aspects of any license is having product you know varied product to offer the customer. To me, if I see an independent comic book at a show, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad those guys were able to do that. If I see an independent comic book with a T-shirt and an action figure and whatever else, like that's more impactful. It is, and I mean, let's let's uh, be sure to call out the advent of the independent comic book publishing movement is entirely thanks to print-on-demand services. The fact yeah. that it's not like we we make a ton of money at this, but the fact that I can get a a really nice quality uh comic book produced uh for about two dollars and fifty cents because we don't produce a lot of them mm-hmm. uh at a, at a particular time the fact that we're able to do that and turn around and sell it for just enough money to uh, allow us to go to the next show and print the next book you know that's what's allowed us to do what we're doing and obviously said so we're not trying to make a, a considerable amount of profit until now doing the kickstarter which does allow us that ability to buy in bulk for the first time well, and so the listeners know, I'm sitting here holding the, the Samurai's comics right now, and I mean, these are nice, thick paper with gorgeous colors. The print's incredibly clean. It's Fine got- Corinthian leather. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I would buy that edition in a second. <laughs> you would um, be both, but it'd be like an $80 comic. Be kinda... <laughs> well, that, that'll, that'll be for the, uh, the omnibus that eventually yes. comes out. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, anything else you want to get out there before I, I always at the end of the show have you put over your, your web presence, your sites, where you are on Facebook, all that kind of stuff. But any, any topics you want to throw out there before you go? Hmm. Topics I want to throw out there. Um, I watched Gotham last night and it was much better than I remember it being. It's bonkers, right? Um, you know what? I think that somewhere down the line, somebody figured out what the show was. Um, I'm still the only thing that bothers me because I, you know, like it's been a long time since I've honestly watched the show since last season. Sure. I don't remember Barbara going completely batty. Oh, or, wow. Like I, I know I, re- I recall she she went a little nuts, but I didn't know that she was that she went full on Arkham nuts. So I think I got to go back and catch up on that. I'll say the only thing that was a little weak to me was the Riddler um, pulling his best crappy uh, Norman Osborn from Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, with the the mirror thing that that sort of bugged me a little bit, but I'll say like seeing Jim Gordon fly off the handle was was uh, and I say this fully as a straight man with a kid. It was kind of hot. I well, and you know what? My biggest problem, I went ahead and accepted because I watched the last season of the show, and I will say the last probably three episodes are worth your time to go back and review because that's when things really start to go pun totally intended batshit crazy yeah um i will say too they they they'd somehow pulled off the bruce finding the bat cave thing um i really feared that at the yeah. end of the season i'm like oh my god they this is they're already jumping the king shark on this one uh <laughs> plus 25 for that batman reference yes nice um oh yeah hey i got cred uh um, no first yeah for real like they this somebody pulled that off correctly and i was good for you <laughs> Five, probably about four or five episodes into the first season, um, I liked because I love uh, Donald Logue, who's playing Bullock. I, oh I yeah, he really, makes the show. Yes, Let's I not... like him as an actor. Um, Oswald Cobblepot, the Robin—I can't remember his full name. Robin, Robin Lord, Lord Taylor. Taylor. Yes, yeah. he's fantastic. Like they had a tremendous cast. My biggest problem with the show was actually the guy playing Jim Gordon. Oh, you know, he sort of had a, a limited, like, it's funny, though, I'll say as being a new father when the show came out, uh, I dubbed it Gordon Face anytime I would just smile at my kid as he was doing something incredibly wrong. And you're just, <laughs> you want to just wring his little neck, but you're just smiling at him like, Daddy's making Gordon Face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good call. But I, I at one point, I finally just decided, okay, this is an Elseworlds story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's detached. Obviously, it's detached from any continuity that's ever existed before, and I didn't expect it to be. But it's gone so far beyond. Uh, you know, it's purely inspired by the lore of Batman, and, and at this point, I've accepted that. And I feel like it came back pretty strong. It wrapped up all all the kind of big stuff at the end of last season that you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. They kind of knocked it all out in the first episode and was like, look. Everybody's in Arkham. We're just going to bust them out and make them crazy villain people. Just stop caring, get in the roller coaster, and put the thing down, and we're going to go on a ride. Yep, and we'll say, hey, everybody, we know how much you're going to hate Jared Leto Joker, so let's just all la- let's laugh at the ginger for a while. <laughs> um, that poor kid. Um, you know, I know that he must be on some other show that I've seen on AV Club. They were mentioning it, and... Um, you know what? He, he's got the the hardest ride, the biggest sell for me. Sure, because I'm I'm still not sold on it. But you know what? Um, oh, I also did like they. Um, 
it, it was uh, a little aside for the comic book uh, elite there that uh, we got Black Mask without getting Black Mask. Yes, uh, well, but we don't know because I wonder did whoever that lady is supposed to be. I'm sure we'll find out. Oh, you know what? She's Tigress. Um, oh, is some, she? Yeah, somebody dropped that up on the on the AV Club board. Uh, someone mentioned. I'm like, oh, thank God, because I don't know the name. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I, yeah. I, I had no idea, but it, but we don't know that she killed him. Maybe no, she no. just slashed his face up, and that's why he's going to be Black Mask. That's my hope, yeah. obviously. Um, but yeah, so, so Gotham was good. I mean, outside of that, um, I can't really think of anything else running. Uh, I, I would I would say since you've already dropped the terminology, I am a uh, not so closeted WWE fan, though. Um, it's strange. I, I have the network. I should be watching NXT. I oh, know I would yes, enjoy you it. Should, dude. I I, uh, I started watching the the Brooklyn Takeover show mm-hmm. because I was told by the internet wrestling community that if I didn't, I'd lose my card. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I said I've only been making my way through it here and there because obviously I work a lot. But um, from what I've seen, and I haven't even gotten to Sasha uh, versus Bailey. I've loved every second of it. Um, even like you know, people I I don't know the VOD villains or the uh, weird guys they faced who looked like they were on ecstasy. But yeah. <laughs> um, really, like I just looked at that and saying that that is absolutely great. And uh, having just suffered through Night of Champions, um, I, I think uh, I I don't know how much longer I can hold out. Well, I was I was extremely well. First, watching Night of Champions, I was extremely disappointed with what happened with sting yeah uh, oh, well and uh isn't it great that seth rollins no, no longer has any moves well it, it's <laughs> it's interesting though because he he went and had a great match with cena on raw yeah no he did i, I and and sting put on a hell of a match and he, it, he sure as hell tried. It bummed me out, and I, I haven't actually seen any follow up since Monday. Apparently, he is injured in some non-specified way, uh, and it's very disappointing if he went out there and put forth that effort, and that's the last we see of him. I, I would hate I'm to sure. think that was the case. I gotta believe it's not the last we'll see, but I, I also fear. Well, I mean, really, even just the way they booked him, like. Uh, you know, he lost Triple H and then so, for some inexplicable reason had to put Triple H over as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, yeah. Uh, the following when, when he comes back, which was a little weird, but whatever, um, you know, outside of that. And then he comes back. Honestly, it's funny. Um, I don't know. Do you have you ever heard of Dirk Manning? Uh, no, I can't say I have. Okay, Dirk's another great. Um, yeah, because I realize it. You're over East Coast. We're all Midwest. So Dirk's <laughs> a, another great um, indie uh, writer. He writes for Bleeding Cool. He writes uh, some oh, okay. incredible series uh, himself. Uh, Tales of Mystery. That's like Mister and then R H E E. Gotcha. Well, anyway, Dirk is a total mark like us, and he was telling me when we were at Cincinnati Comic Con the other week. Uh, he's like, mark my words. Uh, he's like, Sting's gonna win the belt. And then Sheamus is going to cash in immediately on Sting. And I was like, you know what? That would actually make complete sense. It, it lets Sting get over, and it lets him not have to keep the belt. Now, I don't like Sheamus, but I could at least I could live with that. And then to see what the, how they pulled it off, I was like, eh, you know what? Meh. Well, and the ending was, one, I, I really felt like Sting should win, because to me, Sting with the belt is going to make WWE money. They're going to sell Sting T-shirts. Yeah, gonna, they've got a Sting action figure that's out right now that's going to sell. Like 
that's money making. It doesn't hurt anything to put the belt on him for a month. Put it on him for a month. Let him go to you know Hell in a Cell or or even Survivor Series maybe and drop it. But give the guy a run. But instead, he just loses in a fairly ignominious manner. Now, granted, I don't know what part his injury or potential injury played in that uh, because it did feel that was a very weird ending. Yeah, well, the, the you know, according to the the dirt sheets, not to get super industry on that, but yeah, most of the dirt sheets this morning were just saying uh, they rushed the finish, but the finish was what it was. Like they didn't really? change it, and I was like, ah, okay, you know, again, like I I get it, but it doesn't mean I liked it. Yeah, and um, well, I'll just be out and out about it. I don't care how many times you repackage him. Don't like Kane. Don't want Kane. Don't believe Kane will be the champion. Uh, they did. They pulled the same crap when Daniel Bryan won the championship, and uh, I will say that uh, being from where I'm from, I'm a complete CM Punk fan. Number one. Oh, for and, sure. And when Punk deservedly made his es- escape, uh, then I took all of that love and I transferred it over to the Daniel Bryan account. Yes. And uh, have been silently whimpering ever since, especially when they gave him that when he won that title, and I'm. You know, sitting there excited as can be, and then you know they they put him in an extreme rules match with Kane, and like all it, it's like any time Big Show comes on the television, like you can just see my soul silently whimper and wither. <laughs> see, to me, Kane has potentially more value than Big Show because Big Show is going to come out, and he's he's going to do one of two things: he is either going to be presented as the unstoppable force, and then be stopped very quickly. Mm-hmm. Or he's just going to job to put over some guy's power, like Ryback or somebody like that, for example. Yeah, well, and, and, and well, and also he has to roll the dice before he uh, goes out through Gorilla to determine if he's a heel or face tonight. Oh gosh, you're not kidding. But see, Kane, <laughs> one, Kane is a company guy, and I have to respect that, regardless of his level of performance. And two. He's done so many different things over the years that there is still a level of unpredictability to him. Yes, they're not going to put the title on him. But that doesn't mean he can't have fun with Seth Rollins. Um, yeah, I, I'll say that the, the the pulling him through the hole in the ring and denying the existence of you know two different canes, all that, I think it's cool. I thought like that was the most interest I've had in him in a long time. It's just a matter of... Um, given my level of fandom and the, 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 the wrestlers and the people that I really enjoy seeing, it's like, I just, I don't know how much longer I can really hold out. I'm like right now, the only thing that keeps me watching the, the main product right now is the fact that Kevin Owens has the intercontinental belt. Yeah. And I, and I feel like once he gets past the, the Ryback uh, rematch that, you know, God forbid they might actually put him into a feud where the matches are going to steal the show legitimately. Like, I'd love to see him and Cesaro really go after it. Oh, but, my gosh, yeah. Um, though I would say, like, clearly he's going to have to hold that belt for a little while, and I just don't want to see Cesaro continually lose. Yeah, there. well, and the thing is, they've actually got a lot of good mid-card stuff right now. Like, um I, I as much as I kind of dig what's happening with the Wyatts, I like Luke Harper so much on his own. Like, he is, yeah, that guy's got way more. Like he's got layers to his ability that uh, I think people forget, especially because of how he's like. Especially right now, he is sort of the 
I don't know. He he's a part of the Wyatt fam- family, but let's be honest. Right now, all of the attention is on who is strong enough to def- to defeat Peck Strowman. Yeah, right, right. But uh, yeah, Harper and Ambrose had some awesome matches. Uh, you've got Harper, Ambrose, Cesaro, Rusev. Uh, when he gets a chance to have a good match, has yeah. good matches. He he does, and I say like he has shown an ability to use ring psychology, which is for me, like I, it's the only thing I applauded about the uh, Charlotte Nikki Bella matches that for the first time ever, she had to wrestle a match with some, uh, some psychology to see that Rusev did that for a, a while too, with Cena played off injuries and such. I, I do like that. And I think that the only thing is I just, uh, I feel bad for Rusev if only because you know his first gimmick, which he's still working through, is this xenophobic. I'm not from America, thus yeah. you must hate me. And then the only other thing they could come up with, honestly, was what? Um, we'll give him a girlfriend, and we'll make him lose the girlfriend. And that is just the the worst, sloppiest angle they've had on TV in years. And, and not only sloppy, but then to have the gall to play it off like it's some stealing the headlines of TMZ. I'm like. Are you absolutely, like, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Coming, by the way, can I also just point out the inconsistency? If you are a legitimate WWE fan and a fan of the Divas, then how do you believe that Charlotte, uh, um, I'm sorry, that Paige uh, goes off on this AJ Lee-type rant where she runs down the entire Divas division only to turn on Total Divas the next day and see her hugging basically everybody? Oh, no, I didn't see. I... Total Divas is not on my radar at all. Oh, I don't watch it. And, uh, I just pay attention to what people say about it. Yeah, and I've, I've, uh, I, I know it's there, and every once in a while I hear something about it. No, I didn't know that. And see, that's one of my big problems with the show is, you know, I understand kayfabe is done. Mm-hmm. But within your own universe, at least keep your current storylines consistent. Wouldn't, is it too much to ask, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, right. Seriously, because Paige did a very good job with her pseudo-pipe bomb, uh, and it did, to me, it came off, uh, it started off a little stilted. I was like, okay, I see where we're going. That was awkward, but I'm on for the ride. Mm-hmm. And she sold it. By the, end, by the time she was done talking, I bought in. I was like, okay, this is cool. This is interesting, because now, you know, Charlotte, what what's most interesting to me about the story is the spot that it's put Charlotte in and depending on how it's booked from here on out how strong all of this could make her look as champion yeah i'm i'm hopeful for that i mean obviously she needs to have a good reign she doesn't need to have the replace aj lee's reign that they gave, they gifted to nikki no, yeah yeah um though credit where it's due she did when when she eventually had to wrestle she did improve what product she brought to the ring, what little she had. Sure. Um, but that being said, obviously we know Charlotte can go. Uh, it's just uh, too much of this stupid pair off, stable up, and have like these little catfight wars between the the teams with no legitimate like. Um, you know, it, I'm glad it's it's Paige dissolved her little team because that hopefully will will shake off to the rest of them and we can just have a division it doesn't have to be the mean girls club well and that's that's the thing that's undermining the whole revolution is that uh one we watch nxt and we see these incredible women's matches and then we watch the main show and we see 
Sure, it's better than the same old, same old, but it's not what we're seeing on NXT. And the feuds are still over things like hurt feelings and clicks and whatever else. As opposed and really, to, it, and it's not even that they've even given them that much credence. It was Stephanie McMahon declares that it's a revolution. She brings in Paige, Becky Lynch, and Sasha, and then for really no discriminate reason, decides that I'm going to put you guys on teams, and you'll all be best friends, and you'll come up with hand signals to uh to pair off with when your music hits and then we'll just keep throwing you into the same repeated matches um and it's like everyone we all know it's the same thing that kevin owens was facing the problem like after he got through the cena thing and yes. we're all holding our breath like that he can somehow get his heat back it's that he was having these incredible matches with finn balor and Everybody who's watching the NXT product knows how how well he can go, yet we're forced to watch him uh, sift through boring match after boring match on Raw. Same thing as Sasha Banks. We know that this woman has got crazy in-ring ability, yet she's having to wrestle... Uh, five-minute matches against Alicia Fox or, um, you know, some really just terrible matches with Paige. And, like, again, it's... as a storyteller, I, that's all I want is somebody to tell me a story that re, that understands that I watched the product last week and don't take me for a fool because Paige has been losing and losing and losing and starting to look like a sourpuss, yet they've not touched on that at all. Right. She's still the, the forerunner of the revolution. There, and there's, yeah. Although I think... Uh, with further development, maybe her promo will will dip into that a little bit more. I really hope so. I mean, so I, I I've got high hopes that uh, the, that they can legitimize that. And and for the love of God, can can we drop the term diva? I know they won't, but can we just call it the women's title again? Oh, I wish. And not only the women's title, but just change it to the women's title. Get rid of the butterfly. Yes. Um. If if you have, and I I understand it is tough to find time to watch stuff, but. Uh, there's a new series on the network called Table for Three. Yeah, I, I've seen the the promo. I think what the New Day did one tonight. Well, the one that they had on tonight. Now I don't know if it premiered tonight, but the one that was that I just watched before we started talking actually was Ivory Alundra Alundra Bray. My gosh, Alundra Blaze. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Medusa. Why didn't I go with Medusa? So Why much easier. I immediately switch over and Molly Holly. Nice. Uh, and they talk about a lot of this stuff, and it's really interesting. It's a good, good watch. I'll have to take that out. I'm, I'm saddened that Victoria didn't make it, but it's uh, yeah, understandable. And, and but they do bring up uh, kind of because you know Ivory Victoria and they, you know they were all kind of the road crew back in the day, and they, mm-hmm. it's it's a little too brief, but it's very interesting, especially with you know Medusa. She's very blunt and very clear about how she feels about divas, and it's interesting <laughs> to see Ivory and Molly both talking about that too. Well, we've we've got to wrap it up before this turns into WrestleCast. Indeed. Um, before we go, put over your site, your presence online. Where can we find you? Where can we get copies of Samurnauts? Yes. All right. So first and foremost, you can order all of our books online at unshavencomicsonline.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash unshavencomics. Um, I don't tweet often, but in case you want to read my tweets, um, I, I promise they're not all about Grubhub. Uh, that's at unshavenmark. Um, uh, you can follow us there. 
Um, I don't think that. Oh, and of course, if you want to read my articles, I do write a column every week at comicmix.com. Uh, if you just go under the columnist tab, you'll see me. I'm probably up near the top. And far more important than me on that site, you'll also find comic book legends writing every week, including John Ostrander, Denny O'Neill. Uh, Michael Davis, Mike Gold, former editor of DC, uh, of all of those gentlemen, uh, just some great, great people um, on that site. Uh, some other maybe le- lesser known names of the comic book industry, but they're all a who's who of just fantastic folks. And I'm very honored to be writing uh, my little pissant column every week. Uh, the next couple of weeks, I'm actually talking all about those uh, to print or not to print, to make posters, to not make posters. Um, and then if you crawl back through, you can also learn about Kickstarters and um, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, I don't know about all of those other guys, but I'm definitely going to run back through your archive because that was a good piece. <laughs> I appreciate it. So there, I've, I've got a couple of pieces up there that I've been told are uh, are swell and of the you-should-read uh, variety and also i should say like i'm i am a dirty whore when it comes to uh needing prompts so if you ever come up with something yourself that you need to hear me rant about uh by all means let me know because uh you know you can only self-promote yourself so much every week uh, yeah believe me i know that i know that well dude thank you so much for coming on the needless things podcast it's been a great talk and i uh, definitely want to have you on again i think we get a lot of ground we could cover in the future absolutely anytime you want me i'm here cool thanks man Later, later. That was a lot of fun. I like talking to that guy. We we uh we went off on a wrestling tangent at the end that was that could have gone on for hours and hours. Uh, I want to mention go to lasexoflex.com and you can purchase their album, The Naughty Contest, for however much you think it's worth. My recommendation is always 10 bucks. If you're not willing to pay 10 bucks for an album, then I don't know what's wrong with you. But it's totally worth your time. But at least go and check out the music. Uh, I believe their original mixtape is still available there. But they created what you are listening to right now in the background at the end of every single Needless Things podcast, which you can find on iTunes and Stitcher as well as at needlessthingssite.com. All right, so that was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Next week, next week is the beginning of Halloween on Needless Things. All month long, we'll be featuring spooky content about ghosts, ghouls, and the gremlins that live outside of your house. The cast of Needless Things will be contributing pieces about all things horror and Halloween, so tune in to the Needless Things podcast every Friday in October for a chilling topic designed to thrill and terrify. Five days during the week, we will be discussing all things horrific and bringing delightful screams to your eyes and ears. I don't know if that made any sense. Uh, You can't really bring screams. So I guess if you screamed in somebody's eye, they'd probably feel it. Uh, But anyway, next month, obviously, Halloween, all month long. Uh, I am not positive yet that I'm going to do my normal sci-fi coverage. I'm looking at alternatives for that. Uh, You know, it takes a lot. I don't know if people care. Let me know. If you want to see the return of my rundown of the Sci-Fi Network's programming 
for October, let me know. Join the Needless Things podcast group on Facebook or send me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com and tell me you want me to put that effort into that. If you guys want it, I will absolutely freaking do it. Uh, But if there's not much interest, it takes a lot of work and, and maybe it's not necessary. I don't know. But anyway, regardless of that, uh, be sure to follow Needless Things through October to get your spooky fix in. And, and also, I'll put over another site because the site is obviously inspiration to me, Dinosaur Dracula. Go to DinosaurDracula.com every single day from now. He's already started his Halloween coverage uh, from now through the end of October. And then again, probably in December because he does Christmas stuff too. But just check out DinosaurDracula.com. It's, it's an amazing website. And uh, But don't do it too proximal to Needless Things because I, I don't want to feel bad. Uh, Anyway, thanks for listening. Please spread the word about Needless Things and the Needless Things podcast. Tell your local convention runner that they need the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show Show. And that's all I got. I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.